We on? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah. Wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. Welcome everybody to the Safina Society. Nothing but facts, live stream. And as you can see very clearly and you can hear throughout today's stream, we got construction going on. We got some serious construction going on and you'll hear the drilling and it seems like they're literally about to drill through this roof. Like that's what it feels like and you'll hear it right now. It literally feels like they're going to drill right through the roof and that uh, at any minute a drill bit's going to start peeking its head out. So today we are on, and, and, and I apologize for being late, but actually, I, believe it or not, I was going to actually cancel uh, today's stream because I woke up just not that great, but here we are. Uh, inshallah, nothing that, alhamdulillah, it was nothing that a little bit of water or a ton of water cannot fix. Um, you know, I'm a big believer in Japanese, what's called this Japanese um, water therapy. You heard of it? No. Oh, my goodness. Japanese are amazing with this. They got Japanese water therapy is the idea that like 90% of the ailments that a person have has can be cured by water. They even cure certain diseases just by water and a certain amounts at certain times. And this, t uh, if it's a small ailment, it, it's very quick, like 10 days, sometimes like one day. In my case, it was like one hour. But if it's uh, a major ailment, then they have to, you have to not eat certain things and drink tons of water at certain schedules that they figured it out. And I thought to myself, this is, when I saw this, it's so elegant, like it's so simple. It's almost like the, the, the apple of medical treatments. Like back in the day, Steve Jobs came in and he made everything simple and sleek everything white with like an on button that's it and these guys these uh japanese doctors like these i don't know what they used to call them i guess they were physicians right like medical men uh, medicine man type of guys they came up with this um japanese water therapy and it's cured so many issues headaches dry skin anxiety even because a lot of this stuff comes out of your gut right it comes from your gut like a lot of things are cured from Japanese water treatment and you should water therapy or whatever you want to call it. So you should look that look this up. If you have s issues with your stomach, if you have issues with your head, even like joints and stuff, it's amazing. Just study it and look it up. And I'm a big advocate of it. There, it's not developed. It's not like you're gonna find like tons of literature. It hasn't caught on probably because it's there's no profit in it, right? just telling people to drink water at certain amounts of time. So it's not going to develop because there's no profit in it. All right, so I'm going to read. I have my um, iPad for Instagram. And Habib, you're going to read me any questions from YouTube because I don't know what is going on. Every time I come in here now, my phone refuses to accept the Wi-Fi. And it's just, uh, I, can't, I can't see anything. What about issues with tinnitus? What is tinnitus? Like tendinitis? What is that exactly? I'm not familiar with that medical term. Could you look it up for us, Habib? But look up what Japanese water treatment. I don't know if there are any experts anymore. Some random, probably, websites and whatever. But I love it, and it works. That's why I like it. It works, right? So tinnitus is when you experience ringing or other noises in one or both of your ears. Hmm. It's a common problem. It affects 15 to 20% of people. Ajib. 
I mean, I, I've had that ringing in the ears, but not in a repetitive way, just like randomly. Yeah, and that, had that you've had that too, right? Maybe it's a source of infection, maybe a slight infection or some disturbance inside the ear. Q-tips actually probably spreads infection, right? Yes. Q-tips is, is meant for the, the this part of the ear, not the inside. But everyone goes digging with the inside of their ear. But Q-tips are meant for that. So um, Farah says, no, it's excessive noise in the ear, wishing, sounding of washing machine ringing. And it causes people to be depressed. SubhanAllah. So I, th I think that you got to look for a, a cure for that. Uh, uh, that's probably maybe a bit advanced for water therapy. You know, so... Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Surah al-Sharh. Speaking of depression, she mentioned the word depression. This is your antidepressant. This surah right here is completely your antidepressant. Okay. Alam nashrah laka sadrak is your antidepressant. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins, Have we not relieved your chest, your burdens of your soul, basically? Have we not relieved the burdens of your soul? In other words, hasn't it? Hasn't it happened in the past that Allah has relieved the burdens of your soul? Right. So, if He's done this in the past, He'll do it in the, again in the future. If He's done it with other people, He'll do it again um, in the future. Okay. If He's relieved other people's burdens in the past, then why can't He relieve your burdens? Ha have not? Aren't there? immensely successful people out there who come back and they tell you I was a crack addict I was on alcohol I was an addict I was this that and the other okay have we not had that there does that not exist it exists everywhere so if Allah Ta'ala is, is willing and capable he's showing you his will and he's showing his power through others so you should believe it for yourself if, if Allah is willing to give others that, well, why not give me that? Okay. And we soften your heart with Iman, and we gave you the prophethood, and we explained to you all of what you, O Messenger, were pondering about in the cave. So the Messenger, وسلم, when he reached a certain age, he would go into the cave, as we all know. Every Muslim knows this, right? When he would go into the cave, he was pondering things. Like, why is, why is there certain impressions that it won't go away? Like, what is the means by which alleviate, to alleviate these things? Like, what? He was pondering many things. We don't know. But we know, At-Tahannuth is the old acts of worship. And we, no doubt, the Prophet was very, he was known to be very, what you could call, pensive. Meaning, in a, um, a deep, and sensitive and critical uh, train of thought or uh, mode of contemplation. And we know the Prophet ﷺ would contemplate the issues of his people and the issues of human beings in this cave. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala relieved that burden from him by explaining, giving him uh, an explanation for this. Namely that, okay, you're a messenger. All of these solutions will come now. It's just a matter of time. For these revelation, for the revelation to be complete, and it's one of the wisdoms why the re final revelation came in the Arabian Peninsula because they were so simple. These people are so simple that their problems can be solved quickly. They don't have much, many structures that would stop them from changing. I mean, imagine if you wanted to change American society. It's, it's like you never do it in twenty-three years because 
you can't transform them in 23 years. You can maybe destroy it, but you can't transform something so complex with a, a military that's so massive, with a banking industry. All these industries would stop any radical change. But when you come to a small, simple operation, you can make major changes quickly. And that's something that um, the, is one of the wisdoms why Islam came to this simple, uh, these simple Bedouin people. Because their society was easy enough to alter quickly. So, this is the meaning of sharh al-sadr. means the relief of burden. Okay? And sharh uh, al-sadr by itself means the release of burden from your chest. Because when, you're, when you have a burden, you feel like you're, you're caving in on the inside. Sharh al-sadr comes in another ayah of Quran. Sharh al-sadrahu lil-islam. Oh, uh, the ayah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, no. um, The one for whom Allah has re- opened his heart to Islam, he is upon a light from his Lord. So that's specific. This is general. Released your, released your burden. The other one is, open your heart to Islam. That means, and the Prophet described that, and he describes how it happens and the sign that it happened. And he gives us three signs that it happened. The, the how is it happens by a light entering into the heart. Simply that Allah places a light in the heart. Okay. Well, some people say, hold on a second. That's not fair. Why did Allah put a light in some people's heart and not in others? Well, the answer to that is that that light is coming into, shining on everybody's heart except that some people have covered their hearts with sins and kufr and hypocrisy and all sorts of other bad things that they've covered their heart with. Okay? So the light can't shine. Same thing. Nobody can blame anybody for not getting sunlight. Right? Move your body. Go into the sun. Oh, but I'm in England. Go south to Spain. Jet, take, is there, is there an, used to be an airline. Easy jet. One pound. To Spain is the ticket. One British pound and then like $100 in taxes. 100 pounds in taxes. 25 bucks in uh, pounds in taxes. Move your body. You can't blame anyone for not getting enough sun. Okay. Even in Morocco, in the olden days, in the ancient times, they had unwritten rules. Where after Asr, from Asr to Maghrib, no man can go on the roof. You should finish your work. If you need to be on the roof for whatever job that you have on the roof, you stop after the Adhan of Asr. After the Adhan of Asr, until Maghrib is a time for women to go on the roofs. And they can take their hijab off on the rooftops. So, Titus Burkhart, who wrote a book called The Ancient City of Fez, he says in that book that he didn't know the rule. So he went on top of the rooftop to observe the sunset. And he found himself getting shot at, right? Muskets, psh, I mean, fired at him. And he's like, what's going on here? And he's yelling shouting, firing guns at him. And he came down, and then they told him, no, after Asr, it's for women to get sun, right? They need to get sun. They also do things up there, right? For example, they may be uh, using the sun for some other purposes, like whether they, sometimes they have pigeons up there, sometimes they have laundry that they want to put out, whatever purposes they have, and just to get some sun. So likewise, the light of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is greater than the sun. Yeah, anybody has access to it. Every single person has access to it. And the light of Allah Ta'ala is a substance, but it's also a meaning. 
It's both. It's a substance. A nur is a substance that Allah Ta'ala places in the heart of a person through malak, through a malak. An angel comes and delivers it to his heart. But it's also a meaning. A meaning being like the, the signs of Allah Ta'ala's existence, of a creator, are so clear and obvious that the only way that you cannot see it is to not want to see it. So it's similar to the world in front of you. The only way that you don't see it is by trying to cover your eyes with your eyelids. So Allah gives you a choice. You can shut your eyes, you can open your eyes. That's why looking for us is more sensitive of a deed than hearing. I can walk into a supermarket, see someone over there that I'm not supposed to look at, and I can shut my eyes and move my neck. But I can't walk around like this, right? I can't go in the supermarket and, and cover my ears, and there's a wisdom for this, right? People need to cry for help, right? So there's a wisdom why Allah Ta'ala has created one of the senses is almost impossible to shut down. One of them is quite difficult to shut down. It's not easy to walk around shutting, lowering your gaze like this, right? It's hard to, it's not always easy to not look at something. Okay, Almost impossible to try not to hear something. Very difficult to try to look at something. And then touching something is, is quite difficult. You can see tons of things that you can't touch. Tasting something is more difficult. And then there's another one that is I should have said this first. Totally impossible to avoid, which is smelling something. So smell, impossible to avoid. Hearing, very hard to avoid. All right, almost impossible to avoid. Seeing, very hard to avoid. And then touching, very hard to do. And then tasting, even harder. Right. So these are your main senses are coming like in a pyramid, like upside down, because you need it. So smelling is going to what's going to tell you there's a fire. Hearing is what's going to tell you someone's in trouble, someone's yelling. And then it goes downwards from there. Seeing is why Allah always proceeds hearing before seeing. Sam'a wal basr. Okay? Hearing and seeing. Because hearing, it's, it's vast. Seeing, it's more narrow. Okay? And hearing and seeing, I think that Which one of the senses would you feel is more important? It's tough. It's a tough one. Hearing or seeing. May Allah protect all of our hearing and our seeing. We never want to see anybody with those tribulations. So, Sharh Allahu Sadrahul Islam with Nur. And then, what is the sign of that? Because all this unseen. I don't know what's in my chest and what's coming in and out of my chest. And Nur is something we don't see. So, Allah Ta'ala gave. Uh, a sign. The Prophet ﷺ was asked by the Sahaba a sign because they were practical, very practical. You're, you're saying to us that Allah Ta'ala will open our hearts to Islam by a light shining inside of our heart. Tell you, what is the sign of that? What's the external signs and symptom of that? Or symptom is usually bad, but sign. So he said, Tajafi andar al ghurur. You stop being so interested in the fain, uh, fanny things. Fanny means it's, it's, it's passing, right? It's passing. It's something that's just not going to have any long-lasting existence. So you still lose interest in these things, which is a dunya. It's a genuine loss of interest, not a forced loss. That's very dangerous. A forcedly stopping yourself from something that is halal for you because it's in excess, you have to do that very carefully because you don't want to rebound. If it's haram, you have to do it by force. 
But if it's a halal thing, you have to take it slowly. Anything that is, as Sayyid Muhammad Daniel said, perishing, that's a good word. It's, it's going to be useless to me in the future. At-tajafi an dar al-ghurur. Wal-inabatu ila dar al-khulud. And then, but you now have a yearning for what is permanent. So, my ibadah is permanent. I'm going to see that reward forever. So it's more worth time for me. It's more worth the investment. You're never going to have sadness. Ever see like something that was such a big deal to you of life, in, uh, of dunya and life, and then you see its picture 10 years later. You're like, what was, what was I doing? A waste of time. It's like a weird feeling because all that energy and emotion went into this thing and now I don't care about it at all. It feels like such a waste. Or fads and trends that people used to be into like songs that they, people used to be into. And it was such, uh, well, I was like fire. When I was young, there was a song called The Macarena. It, people went nuts. It was just uh, a, a happy type of song, Mexican um, music, I guess. And they had a dance. And the whole world, the whole country went nuts for this song. No clue what it means, right? But everyone in high school was nuts over it. Ball games, everything. But you fast forward, it's like, what a waste of time that was. Just, just a fad that came and went. Right? Now, the fads of today, though, unfortunately, they're permanent. Fads of the old days were like hairstyles, jeans. Fads of today is cutting off limbs, cutting off, uh, uh, cutting off hormones from my body. In other words, cutting them off in the sense of they won't come out. So, I mean, a whole bunch of people could, could, could regret having silly hair in the 70s now that he's a CEO, he's all buttoned up, okay? And he's all, you know, a silly picture of me in high school. All right, your hair is not something permanent, but now the whole fads, uh, all these fads are like permanent, you know? It's like surgical and hormone therapy and stuff. It's like, wow, how are you going to make up for that later on? Like, how are you going to, if you come out of that phase, but you're, the effect of it's permanent. Number three, sign number three. وَالْعَمَلُ لِمَا بَعْدَ الْمَوْتِ قَبْلَ نُزُولِهِ Okay. The action upon death before it comes to you. Okay. Before you die, but you start living as if, I'm going to die tomorrow, so what does that mean? I got to fix this relationship. I got to fix this financial debt that I'm in. I got to repent for this sin. I have to go and uh, do this haq that I have to I owe somebody, so on and so forth. I have to keep doing all, tidy up my book, essentially. I have to clean up my book. So he cleans up his book and he's ready to go. That's the idea and the concept. of sharh Allah sadrahu lil islam. So that is a specific sharh to the general concept of the relief of your burden. And a sharh lil islam will lead you, the opening of your heart to islam will lead you to lifting up many, many, many burdens uh, that are present in life. So, what does that mean? That means anything that the Prophet وسلم, felt that he, that he learned. And he realized, oh, I didn't know this for 40 years. I wasn't doing this for 40 years. That, that is not something that he has to worry for. 
Okay. Because oftentimes we learn a thing and we realize, I can't believe I'm learning this at the age of whatever. Let's say a guy's 50 years old. You still learn about 50 years old. And you discover something that would have made life so much more amazing. Or, well, it's true when you thought it was false. Okay, so you start thinking, oh my goodness, all these years. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, have no worries for any of that. Of the past, don't have no worries for it. That's the meaning of it. And the quote-unquote sin of a prophet, you all hear that? They should probably hear that, right? Uh, yeah, they definitely hear that. Okay, so uh, the quote-unquote sin of a prophet is to do a good thing when there is a greater thing. Well, the Prophet ﷺ is always doing, is always learning, okay? Is always learning something new and, and being revealed to him something new. So Allah ﷻ says, do not go this route of regret of your past. All that's forgiven. It has to be this way. So the Prophet ﷺ is always on a upward ascendancy of his ma'rifah and his knowledge and what's being revealed to him. So therefore, the past for him is not something for him to ever regret. This is the meaning of yeah. Meaning, this also means now that you are a prophet and the whole ummah and the entire world is gazes upon your actions and your teachings. Any mistake, any forgetfulness, do not uh, concern yourself over because it's by Allah's qadr, so that you can teach people how to make a mistake, how to recover from that mistake, and how to recover from that forgetfulness, such as, how can you have a Prophet wasallam forget and pray dhuhr as in two rakahs rather than four rakahs? So if he forgets that, the, the munafiq and the skeptic may say, maybe he forgets revelation too. No, impossible. So Allah is declaring it here, that all of that is by Allah's qadr first. And the Prophet ﷺ said, which means, I forget or I am made to forget so that I could set an example. So if we, if the Prophet ﷺ never forgot something, in Salah, for example, how would we know what to do? If he never made a judgment for which there was another Sahabi had a better judgment, how would we learn the, to have the humility? So, uh, of, of recognizing someone has a better idea. And the Prophet ﷺ, that happened by design from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at the Battle of Badr. So we asked then, in terms of the location, where to stop, and there was a well that the Prophet was not aware of because he was not from that area. So you can't even blame him for not being aware of that. But it's not like it's blameworthy. But a sahabi knew something about this dunya okay, that the Prophet at that moment in time was not aware of. So, uh, <clears throat> so that is essentially the importance of having a prophet that is a human being. Okay. Now, the importance of that is the human qualities, uh, but it's also important to ha that he's a prophet. There is no immoral action. There is no error. There is no uh, personal nafs that's the person that we can follow but he has the human qualities so bashar he's bashar that he has the human qualities that we can relate to the human needs he needs to breathe he needs to eat 
So we can relate to that. Okay. But he has no moral failings. So we could look up to him. So we need to relate to the prophet, but we need to look up to him too. Hey, you have a prophet with moral failings. Every fasik would love him because he justifies it. All right, so the, that prophet committed that sin. So what did Elijah Muhammad say to Malcolm X? Elijah Muhammad said to Malcolm X that when Malcolm X discovered, hey, guy's sleeping around with the secretaries and he's got kids all over the country with his followers. Wait a second, if this was something good, why not openly marry them, right? Marry them openly. So Elijah Muhammad takes him uh, in that famous scene and they take a stroll around his lavish mansion in Chicago and he says, do you not remember in the Bible that Noah did this sin, Lot did that sin, everyone did some sin or other, all these prophets have sins? Well, this is my sin. I'm a prophet and this is my sin. Now, Malcolm X had read the Bible. They studied the Bible in Nation of Islam and the Quran side by side. He had read those sins, but when he saw it in front of him, he said, nah, this is impossible. The fitrah of a human being says, a prophet from God cannot behave like this. If a prophet from God behaves like this, we should all behave like this, right? So it's impossible. So the uh, Malcolm X then, his faith in Elijah Muhammad shattered, broke, and he realized he's just a... A man who had some inspiration. Malcolm X did all the work, really. He built it up for him. Malcolm X did all the work, but he, he was so trusting of Elijah Muhammad that all of his value was in the hands of Elijah Muhammad. Malcolm X, he didn't own the house. He didn't own anything. He had no knowledge of what's happening in terms of collecting of donations. He was so... That's, to me, a sign that he truly believed he was a prophet, that Elijah was a prophet. He gave all of his wealth for him. Okay. And all the value that Malcolm X came, he didn't ask for anything back. He didn't try to say, hold on a second, what are they doing with, with, with all this that I'm building up for them? Uh, he was in Harlem, they were in Chicago, and he was doing all this. Then he realized, this, this, is, not, this, is, not, this is not true, it's impossible. Okay? So, uh, he ends up with this moral failing that exposes him as a fraud. And then Malcolm X goes out. So we have to have a prophet Okay, who has no moral failings. And this is why the, the, the Jews and Christians are in polar opposites. All the time. It's like on everything. And Islam comes in the middle. On prophets, on the one hand, they've made their messenger a god. And on the other hand, all of their prophets commit the most heinous crimes and sins. That if you teach it, you have to teach it just for the sake of knowing their misguidance. They say that Noah... A'udhu Billah, complete lies about Sayyidina Nuh, salam. I'm just going to say it in English so no one connects it. That they say that Noah ended up uh, getting drunk. Okay. They say that Lot, he left with his daughters and his wife sided with the homosexuals. So he left with his daughters and they were without home. And he had, he, he didn't have a wife now, so he slept with his daughters. Like he raped his daughter. What? I mean, if a priest did one quarter of that, he'd be out of the church. Yet you're telling us your prophet did that? So if you're a, a morally foul man, you love these stories because the best of people do that stuff. I do much less than that. Solomon dies doing what? Being a pagan. Worshipping false gods. David before him. What does he do? They say the lie about David is that he's, he's walking, he sees a beautiful bird. He sees the beautiful bird, and he follows this bird. He's never seen a bird like this before. 
So he follows it with his eyes, and that, and he walks towards it, and it ends up at a lake. He looks, and there's a woman bathing in the lake, Bathsheba. And she is the most beautiful woman he's ever seen, despite he has 99 wives and 3,000 concubines. So 3,999 women, this is the most beautiful one. And she, she, he sees her top to bottom naked. And he can't take his eyes off her. So subhanAllah, then why should they tell the youth don't watch pornography? And you're, this is your prophet doing this? Now it gets worse. He comes in and he asks, and he can't work all day. You know, they make their prophets like psychological cases. All of their prophets are like this, right? They've put their own psychology on their prophets. He can't work all day. He can't think. He's so in love. Here he's have a man who conquered the world, right? Yet his mind has been conquered by a woman. He can't work. He can't do anything. I have to know who she is. He finds out. He asks around. No, firstly, you're a prophet. You can't be asking who's that woman. She looks like this. She looks like that. This is what she, her hair looks like. It's haram, right? You can't be doing that. So how does he do this? He sneaks to find some other immoral person. Hey, find out who that woman is. Oh, it's so-and-so. Who is she? The wife of so-and-so. He's your friend. Oh, he's my friend. Where is he? He's fighting in one of the wars. Okay. He's at one of the wars. And what does he do? He writes one of, a letter. He says, a long list of orders to the general. Oh, P.S., by the way, do you have so-and-so? We really need his, ev- his energy and his experience on the front line. Put him on the front line because we need his experience there. I want him right at the front where at 90% of the time you die. And then P- P.P.S., uh, send me a list of everyone dead, right, who dies. I want to know who. I love my soldiers. I need to know when they die. So he sends this letter using his monarchy and his kingdom and his power to basically kill his own guy. They get the letter back. He's died. He died. Oh, okay. Were you at the battle? Yeah. When, what, when was the battle? Oh, it was about two months ago. Okay, so her edda started two months ago, her waiting period. So he's, he's committing murder, but this is what he's worried about, her edda. Okay? Her, 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 her waiting period after death yeah, two more months, whatever. So that's what he's worried about after committing murder and looking at her naked. But he was worried he wants to make sure that he goes, follows the idda, right? Such lies and nonsense. Then he marries her. And then the great prophet Solomon is the baby that comes out of this ruse and this murder and this sinfulness. So when you guys got, you got one group of people have such heinous lies about their prophets, they're all morally fit, moral failures. Now you swing the other side, you make him a god. Christianity, you make him a god. Seriously. You, both of you. No one could follow either one of these religions and keep his intellect intact and have a normal like life. Because on one hand, my leaders are the most immoral people. On the other hand, my leader is a God who I can't relate to. He's divine. Okay? I can't relate to him. So either way, I can't live normally anymore. Okay? That's why Allah, That's why atheism is never found amongst Aboriginal people. Aboriginal people, they know there's a power above us is greater than us. Either they become pagans or animists. Pagans create their own God, a symbol of their, God, of their beliefs, or animists, they worship the sun, the water, or whatever. Okay? Atheism is never comes out of nature. Leave people on their own, they're never atheists. Atheism comes out of a defective religion. 
lies mixed with truth, Judaism and Christianity. That's where atheism comes out of. Okay. So this is the concept and the importance of the idea here that the Messenger وسلم, is Bashar, but he's also Nabi. He's Bashar, we can relate to him. He's Nabi, he's, he has no moral failings. He never did anything disobedient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, nor harms to harm another person. Nor did he use his power for selfishness. Why was it? It was like almost uh, uh, necessary, or the prophet made it a binding upon himself. That's the right way to put it. The messenger bound himself that not one gold coin spends the night in his house. Although that is not in any book of Islamic law sunnah for us. It's not sunnah. But the prophet did it. So nobody would ever say he uses his prophethood to gain wealth. Okay. Nobody would ever look at the Ummahat al-Mu'mineen, the wives of the Prophet, and say, they're, they're benefiting from this financially. Now, anyone can benefit financially, it's halal. But the Prophet does not want anyone to accuse him. Because you can accuse anybody of being selfish, and he uses his talents to gain a lot of money. And we would say to you, and? Okay, believe that, no problem. But you believe that about your prophet, you're a kafir, right? So you can't have certain beliefs about your prophet, okay? But that you can't have about other people is not going to harm you. So this is the concept and the idea here of wizrak. So the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, the awzar of the prophet. Is that the Prophet learns something new of the revelation, is in constant increase of wisdom and knowledge, then looks back and sees that he wasn't upon that in the past. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying, Do not go that route in self blame or anything, because all of that is forgiven and is by the qadr of Allah that you learn everything at a certain phases. That's the concept and the idea. Okay. As for the belief that the Prophet is given all the knowledge of the dunya and the akhirah, yes, we hold that, that he is, there is a hadith that states that the Prophet Allah Ta'ala placed, is a dream in which Allah placed his hand on my back and all the knowledge of the heavens and the earth came to me. That we hold, Imam al-Haddad says, it is the most of the knowledge. All knowledge is for Allah Ta'ala. But so much knowledge and that that came later and but the knowledge was placed in him and it grew within him later so that there could be a time where he did not know something later on he did know something okay so he had all of that knowledge later on okay now there's another statement waqila it is said and this is very important what he means is the sins of your nation. Because the Prophet wasallam, what he's making istighfar for is not his own record. How is it that we can believe the Prophet is masum and he needs to seek forgiveness of sins? It's impossible. He's masum. So what the sins in the sight of the Prophet is the sins of his ummah. He does not want his ummah to go into the hellfire. Right? That's one of the meanings of any time that the sins of the Prophet ﷺ are mentioned, what it means is the sins of his ummah. So that's second interpretation. The first we just mentioned, and the second one uh, is that it's the sins of his ummah. Okay? Why? أَضَافَهَا إِلَيْهِ لِاشْتِغَالِ قَلْبِهِ بِهِ 
Allah Ta'ala attributes your sins, meaning the sins that you're so worried about, not your personal sins, okay? Now, if someone, he's totally fine, okay? But he's worried about the financial issues of his son. He himself is rich, but his son is poor, right? And he's an old man, he's about to die. And all the wealth is going to be divided up. And his son will get a small sliver and remain poor. So he's worried about his financial difficulties. So he's, wor he's worried about his son's financial difficulties in the same manner he would be worried about his own. If you look at any parent, if their kid is sick, if their kid is in trouble, they're so wor worried about it, you don't know if he's in trouble. It's, it, he's so worried, it looks like he's in trouble. So what Al-Baqawi is saying here is that the Prophet is so busy with the sins of the Muslims, of his ummah, present and future, that it's as if he's worried about it. In the same way that uh, you, the anxiety on the face of a parent over their children's sickness or poverty, you can't tell if it's your sickness or his sickness. It's one and the same. So Allah Ta'ala, أَضَافَهَا إِلَيْهِ لِسْتِغَالِهِ لِقَلْبِهِ the other meaning, a third interpretation of, of this sins of the Prophet is that it's the weight of prophethood that he was concerned with not fulfilling it. All right? That the, this prophethood is so weighty. Imagine if I told you from the moment, from this moment onward, everything you do your kids will take an example out of it and make law out of it. You're like, no, this is like too heavy for you, right? Well, the Prophet ﷺ, his every word and every action that he takes, even his states and his mood and who he approves of and who he surrounds himself with is sunnah for the entire world until the end of time. How weighty is that? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in this interpretation of it, which is by Abdul Aziz ibn Yahya uh, uh, and Abu Ubaidah, is that it is takhfif, a'ba, and nubuwa, wal qiyam bi amriha, that you're so concerned over this, don't worry, you will not make any mistakes. Allah, anything that you perceive to be your own mistake is not a mistake. And Allah has, has protected you from it. You see, you see this three different interpretations for the meaning of quote-unquote sins of the Prophet Now anybody afterwards who comes and says, no, the Prophet has sins and Allah gave him a slap on the wrist, we should give you a slap on the wrist and a couple of lashes on your back too because that's contradictory to Isma. It's contradictory to We raised your remembrance to, be, to say that you people, Allah gave him a slap on the wrist. Allah corrected him. Allah scolded him in the Quran. Is that elevation of risk? So you're contradicting the Quran. You're lucky that all you're getting is some lashes. Okay? Because that's almost you're on the virtue of, uh, verge of essentially blaspheming the Messenger وسلم, okay? and getting yourself uh, in, in, more, in worse trouble, kufr and otherwise. <clears throat> Next ayah of Quran. Is Noah on this thing? Someone needs to clip out from the YouTube that last section of two, like three, four minutes where we talk about the three interpretations of the quote-unquote sins of the Prophet If someone on YouTube afterwards um, uh, 
Sophia, maybe, she knows how to do this stuff, could just clip that section after the stream is over. Sophia says, lashes are back. Yep, lashes, beheadings, right? He's lucky it ends with lashes. You contradict so much when you say that. And you, put, you start putting us more towards the way of the Yehud with a prophet who's, who's a f- basically a failure. Moral failings, doesn't know how to listen to his Lord, <laughs> makes mistake and gets scolded. You shouldn't scold your oldest kid, right? Let's say you have an older kid and he has like much younger siblings. You shouldn't humiliate the older one in front of the small ones. Everyone says that, right? They always say that. Let's say you have a manager. You don't scold a manager, a VP, in front of his employees. They'll never respect him. So this is not this, uh, what people say about Abba, he forgives your sins. You have to understand this in context so you can have, this is almost like the tenzi. Of the Prophet Tenzi is to remove what is untrue about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but it's also removing what is untrue about the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Okay. So someone says, I heard Ibrahim Khan. Why do people say the Prophet was scolded? I don't know why they say it. Maybe they enjoy it. They want to feel like uh, they make them feel better, that even the Prophet has mistakes, blah, blah, blah. Right? Whatever it is. Um, but whatever it is, they're... they're I'm uh, not correct about it. And Bhagawi gave you the correct... That's why this, I'm reading for this book is Aqidah is perfect in this book. That's why. And it's perfectly concise, yet it gives you the protein that you need. Which means he saved your back. Which means that he removed the burdens. Okay, so how did he remove burdens? One of the ways is the Prophet ﷺ was given support in this mission. The mission was so vast, yet Allah Ta'ala gave him a Sayyidah Khadija number one. Then, then uh, the, her, her cousin, Waraka, confirmed what he received. And constantly the Prophet ﷺ is given what he needs and he's given support. Messenger was neither fadh nor ghalith. What does that mean? It means he wasn't harsh or hard-hearted. He was very soft-hearted. Yet the Messenger had and saw the, the requirement and the need for some toughness. Yet if that toughness came out of him, it may scare some people away. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him Sayyidina Umar as a gift. Gave him Sayyidina Umar. And nobody should ever imagine, well, the Prophet doesn't do anything and other Sahaba do. How could you say that, the, uh, that Umar does what the Prophet doesn't do? Or Abu Bakr had more converts at his hand in Mecca than the Prophet has his hand. And people say, how could you say that? We could say, for example, that the fuqaha, scholars of Islam, have went into the philosophy of Islamic law and expounded upon it and clarified many things. And you would say, how could you say they clarified what the Prophet didn't clarify? Or, karamat al-awliya. There are some amazing karamats that awliya have that the Prophet didn't do. So how could you say that they have karamat that the Prophet himself didn't do? Right? So the answer to all of this is that every virtue of a sahabi, every good deed of a Muslim general that took Islam to a different country that the Prophet didn't take Islam to. 
every ilm of alim, every karama of a wali is in fact mudaf back to the messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. It is attributed back to the messenger because they only did what they did by accessing his toolbox, the deen that he taught them. So Sayyidina Umar ibn Khattab, we never say that Sayyidina Umar did what the Prophet couldn't do. No. It was not the role of the Prophet His role is Nabi Rahmah. So when you have Abu Dhar, Sayyidina Ali, Sayyidina Zubair ibn Awam, Sayyidina Umar ibn Khattab, these Sahaba who are tough, Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas, these are warriors. Sayyidina Umar cuts off necks. Okay? He cuts necks right away. You mess around, that's the number what the, the number one go-to solution. Okay? And you say, oh, uh, no. These Sahaba could not fulfill that role without the training of the Prophet, without believing in the Prophet. So every one of these Sahaba, ulama, Islamic kings in general, Muslim kings and generals in Islamic history, awliya and arifina billah, who have amazing prayers, Right, that they get responses to that are not found in the Sunnah. Dua. Okay. And they have ad'iyah that are amazing. They have du'as that are amazing. And they get a response to them as well. They're mujabid da'wah. Okay. How could you say all this? Because they're all the branches of the Messenger of Allah. They could not have done what they did without iman in the Prophet, followership of the Prophet, using what the Prophet brought to them. So all of that is an attribution to the Messenger Everything good about the Ummah of the Prophet, from the, the first Sahabi until the end of time, physical, spiritual, intellectual, military, everything, cultural, is attributed to the Messenger, peace be upon him. He is, that's why he's al-Nabi al-Ummi. Ummi means the source. He's the source of it all. So he does not have to do every single detail. The seed of a tree, right? that's the source of the tree. You can't say, so we, you, you don't eat seeds, right? You eat the fruit. But without the seed, you don't have a fruit. You don't eat the leaves. You eat the fruit. But without the leaves, taking the sunlight, absorbing the sunlight, photosynthesis, you don't have a fruit. So the fruit, everything goes back to the seed. And that's why he's al-Nabi al-Ummi. This is one meaning of al-Nabi al-Ummi out of three major meanings of al-Nabi al-Ummi. The first one is that Al-Um meaning here, the source. Not the biological mother, and not the non-Jew. And not the unlettered. But rather, the source of everything. Okay? He's the source. Number one. Number two. Second meaning of An-Nabi Al-Ummi is that he's unlettered. That means he comes for the simple. That means his message is not complicated. That means his message is not derived from other people. He didn't read the books of other people. He didn't take lectures. He didn't listen to lectures of other people. He didn't have mentors of the dunya, of, of people of this life. Number three, he's a non-Jewish prophet. In other words, he's ummi meaning Gentile. And number fourth, fourth meaning is that a brother once came and said, I imagine the Prophet said I'm like a strict dad. He said, no, he's a nabil ummi, meaning he has more attributes of the mother than of a father. From the, in the sense of his rahmah. Okay. Bil harisun alaykum, bil rauf rahim. Allah described in this harisun alaykum, rauf rahim. Okay. So he's compassionate, merciful, and he's worried about you. And then Allah Ta'ala says, 
he negates from the Prophet three qualities. If you were harsh and hard-hearted, they would have all left you. So he doesn't have those qualities. So really, ghilda is the same quality. So he negates from the Prophet ghilda. The proof that the Prophet does not have harshness in him is that Allah had to command him to be with his policies harsh. Harsh with what? In his personality? So all of a sudden he became rough? No. His policies were harsh. In other words, you're not going to be forgiven for this paganism. No tolerance for paganism. That's one of the policies. Absolutely no tolerance for it. So by Allah commanding him to be waghlud alayhim is because that was not from his qualities. So he had to be commanded to have harshness, meaning no, not accepting anything less than a certain standard. And so the Prophet ﷺ is more in his qualities of a, towards, a, towards his, uh, his ummah like a mother than of the father. Okay. So this is one of the meanings of Nabi uh, al-Ummi. Uh, we go to the next ayah. وَرَفَعْنَا لَكَ ذِكْرَكَ وَرَفَعْنَا لَكَ ذِكْرَكَ We elevated your praise. Okay, and I think we'll stop here. We will stop here. Give me one second. I will be right back, and we'll do Q&A. Okay. Give me one second. I'll be back, and we're going to do Q&A after that.
we back? All right, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Let's take your Q and A right here. Let's see what we got here. Al Murabita is saying, "Allahumma salli wa sallim wa barik." Can you hit AF, by the way? Did you hit AF? It's focused, right? Okay. By the way, the month of Rabi' al-Awwal is starting, okay? So be very, um, it's good for us to always look out for the Hijri months, okay? And Rabi' al-Awwal is in, okay? The four, what are the four meanings of An-Nabi al-Ummi? Question is, so again, An-Nabi al-Ummi. The, the um meaning the source. So he's the source of all the good of his ummah. So nobody should ever say, don't say the Prophet, that somebody had a quality that the Prophet didn't have. Yes, they can have a quality that the Prophet didn't have, but he's the source of that quality. So in effect, it is his quality. Okay, Every beneficial knowledge is attributed to the Prophet. It's because of the messenger, peace be upon him, and so on. And Nabi al-Ummi is the prophet who is unlettered. That means Allah's education of him is through, solely through, revelation. Not an inspiration. He doesn't speak from himself. It's all wahi. So he's not educated by other human beings. That's why it's so important for him to be ummi. He never attended lectures, had a mentor, or read a book. So number three, he's the non-Jewish prophet. He's the Gentile prophet, which means is for everybody, not limited just to those people. And then fourthly, the ummi meaning with compassion, more the compassion more of a mother than a father. In other words, the harshness of a father may scare somebody. It's very hard to, to have that same emotion towards a father than towards a mother. Now, of course, you do have certain emotions towards that. And the Prophet does have both attributes in that uh, his care, his sharia brings and makes sure that people are taken care of. Okay, And the Prophet did say, I'm at the rank of a father towards you. How? That he physically would take care of the people of, uh, of the Muslims that live under his rule if their husband dies or their father dies. And he's responsible for their protection in the city. So from that aspect, he did say, I'm like a father. But from emotionally, he is ummi. In other words, more like the rahmah of a mother than a father. Okay. So that's the uh, meaning of those four qualities for Fari 551. How to get to the straight path once and for all, says Furqan Javid. Follow jumhur ulama ahli sunnah. I seem to flicker between good and bad. I make mistakes and I repent. I think, and many Muslims today, they indulge in major sins. Yes, so it's, we're in a time of non-stop tawbah. The temptations of some, faced by some people, especially youth boys and the temptation to look at women, it's almost like not even a fair fight. It's a, you're, you're asking someone to carry a refrigerator uphill, Right? If they fail, I think that that's an assumption that most people will fail on that and that the course of action is nonstop tawbah. 
that's the only course of action. There's no other way around it that you got every day, every other day, you got to sit down for Abadah to wipe out your sins. Of course, you make Tawbah right away, but you also have to wipe away those sins. And you have to do that by intensive remembrance of Allah. Intensive. That means keeping the Quran in your earbud at all times, right? So um, those AirPods are very useful now because they don't have cords everywhere. And listen to the word of Allah Ta'ala constantly, it's going to purify your heart. You go to sleep listening to it. It will purify your heart. Keep your tongue in the remembrance of Allah. Recite Quran. Force yourself to recite the Quran, to do dhikr and ibadah. And then you have to almost trick your mind, by have to, by, which is not a trick, it's the truth. Allah Ta'ala is going to give me this if I avoid these sins. And go for it, right? And believe it. So you can get a reward. So that's the way, that's, that's what I believe is the only way forward for, for in terms of the temptations of a lot of uh, things in this, in this life because uh, we are the first generation to ever be tested by this. So we should hope for more mercy from Allah Ta'ala uh, because we don't have any order in which, like, of, there's, there's no, for example... 20 years of, or 100 years of how the scholars have found a way around these sins. There's no, there is no way, right? There are little things that you could do to avoid um, being alone with your phone or your computer. If you have a mom and a dad that help you, that's amazing. In other words, they help you by making sure that you're never alone with the computer or with your cell phone. You're lucky, but most people don't have that. And most parents are just sort of clueless and weak, and they, they're, they're truly weak, and they're afraid of their kids. They're more afraid of their kids than they are of the bad consequences of these sins. If you truly loved your kids, if you truly knew the bad consequences of these sins, then your love of your kids would make you more uh, scrupulous and more cautious about them ever getting sucked into pornography. For the boys mainly. I don't know if the girls are into that kind of thing. I don't think so, but who knows these days, everyone's weird. <coughs> there was a Sira exhibition in Toronto, says Ahisha, by Malaysians. They brought relics from the Prophet. What are your thoughts? And when I see relics of the Prophet, so I send them, I say, okay, it could be, it could not be. But where is the harm? Uh, the harm is on the liar, not on me. So I say, look at it and say, wow. But also sometimes you have your own common sense and you go to Top Copy Palace and they tell you that this is the staff of Musa. This is the turban of Yusuf that he... Yeah, and it sounds far off, right? <laughs> Particularly staff of Musa is tiny. They bring you some twig, basically, and tell you it's the staff of Musa. All right, I'm not dumb, but I'll play along, right? <laughs> because what's the harm? Okay, wonderful. Nice. There's no harm, no foul. I'm not doing anything. I'm not not doing anything. I'm not paying to see it. I'm not losing any money. You're not ripping me off. So whatever the case is, it's a claim, and the sin goes back to the liar. But no, I don't think that the the relics of Musa that they claim is true. I don't think that the turban of Joseph is true. But the relics of the Prophet may be true. We know that that's documentation that his burda is here, like his cape is there, or there's one in Egypt, there's different countries have it, 
And many people say that they have the hairs of the Prophet ﷺ and they continue to grow. Uh, they put it in wax, but this hair continues to grow. And Allah knows best, really, to be honest with you. But uh, I would nonetheless give it the respect just for the sake of it. Okay. And what, do you, what is the respect? Just handle it with care, look at it, that's it. Like Instead of throwing it in the garbage. This October 7th, yes, we do have an event at MBIC so for lay polymath. October 7th. Then October 8th, it's at Maqasid. Okay. All right, uh, Habib, give, me, give us YouTube questions. Hmm. What we got? Is it okay if I desire to travel the world? How do I align it with my deen instead of just wasting my time and money? I want to travel the world, he says. Well, if you love traveling the world, you, uh, but you want to align it with your deen, and you need to make money. Well, firstly, with the deen, there's no harm in that unless you're saying that you have to abandon your kids. Um, if you love it so much, find a way to make money out of it. Become one of these uh, world travel bloggers. Okay. Amin says, what's the view of the madhab wearing a ring on the middle finger? is forbidden only in the case that it would possibly be uh, a sign of fisk. I don't know that it is. If I see a guy wearing a, finger, a ring on his index finger or middle finger, nothing particularly comes to mind that like this is a symbol of some fasic <laughs> type of person. So it may be not the norm, definitely not the sunnah, but I don't see it as being... Alamat or Shi'ar Fisq, they call it. Shi'ar Fisq is a symbol of Fisq. So if you came into the masjid with your hair dyed uh, light brown, no one's going to say anything. If your hair dyed blue, you start to question what you're all about because that the people with blue and purple hair are like a select group of people. And they have certain beliefs about things. So you may lump yourself with that crew whether you know it or not so then in that case of sharia I would say to you no don't do that it becomes makru makru anything where there's subjectivity and relativity is makru there's a fatwa going around by mainstream scholars that state music is halal oh that state that music is halal okay music is we answered this many times before that the Prophet ﷺ had forbade instrumentation. Um, and then with the word ma'azif, then he made an exception for the duff. So some ulama expanded that to being all percussions. He heard the wind instrument and covered his ears and some ulama considered that to be that a dislike, but he did not state anything about it. So therefore, they put it in the category of the makru, all wind instruments. And then that leaves one category of instruments, which is the string instrument, and the prohibition remains there. That is the widest, softest opinion on instrumentation mentioned by Asawi. He mentioned it. He didn't, and he didn't like tear it to shreds, but he didn't sponsor it either. So the, it's not the opinion of, it's stronger maybe in the Shafi opinion 
that they have a leniency towards the wind instrument and a permissibility for the percussions. Okay, so in that respect, um, that's the broadest. The most narrow and the, probably the safest is the prohibition of all instruments except for the percussion. The Madikis are the most narrow in that. Even the percussion is only for signifying events, such as weddings, only for weddings, and no other instrumentation is allowed ever. So you have a, a, a range of opinions on that. With the, the most often repeated, oft-repeated is the prohibition of all instruments except for the percussion, okay, because the Prophet explicitly made an exception for it. And the Madikiyat narrowed that exception to weddings only. And the Madikiyah did not make Qiyas with exceptions. Okay? An exception is a standalone. You don't make an analogy through an exception. So that's the answer to that question. All right. What is our... Oh, we forgot. Okay. We forgot to make dua for Sheikh Yusuf al-Qaradawi. He passed away. Sheikh Yusuf al-Qaradawi was from the uh, fuqaha of the Ummah of Islam. And he made himself unique in that respect as a mufti who explored and he went into uh, giving, giving fatawa for matters that the Muslims needed. And uh, they needed fatawa on these uh, matters and he gave many fatawa on them. So he was very famous as a mufti. And the realm of fatwa, you have to understand, is that it is by nature speculation so we don't expect everyone to agree with with fatwa a fatwa is based upon some element of dhan of speculation that the purpose of the sharia of the ruling is x therefore if that purpose is no longer there the ruling is no longer there so that's where any fat mufti any fatwa that's given chances are there's going to be many who agree or disagree so leave all that aside he was a mufti in that respect and he had a lot of passion for the deen, given the fact he wrote so much, spoke so much. And maybe the best quality in him was that he always sided with the oppressed of the ummah. Unlike some of his colleagues who seem to nowadays constantly side with the oppressor. And that's one thing to me that stands out, is that uh, he was always someone who was... Uh, his sympathies were always towards the oppressed of the ummah. And I love that quality. Uh, in him, I believe that's uh, uh, one of his best qualities. Uh, he did have a major impact on a lot of people who were not reached by others. So he had a da'wi element. So he's, he was not just a scholar who wrote books and issued fatawa. He can speak the language of the people. He went on TV. He would speak. Uh, he would give speeches, etc., etc., and he reached a lot of people. And nobody could deny that all of that effort, even his adaddul khisam types of people who, who loathed his fatawa, they loathed his politics. I don't think any of them, and there are many, unfortunately, but uh, I don't think that anybody can deny that he had a m massive impact. He had a great passion for the religion. Um, and we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to shower him with rahmah, and to make his grave and to take him to account by the best of his deeds. And that's, uh, uh, you know, someone who 
put all of this effort, and we know that the Prophet ﷺ said, the alim, the qadi really, the judge, the, the hadith comes about judges, but it applies to scholars. If they put a sincere effort, they get the reward. And we hope that he gets his reward in, the, in his grave first, before, he, before uh, the resurrection, with the shifa of the Messenger ﷺ, and then Jannat al-Firidaus bi hisab. Next question is from Fari. She says, or he says, dua for marriage and rizq from the Quran. First of all, you may make dua for marriage at any time. And it is from the Quran to desire what we may call in this world, and Hollywood calls it and Disney calls it, true love. Right? Whatever it is that Hollywood and Disney call it. But that is what we call and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us to say in the Quran, Rabbana hablana min azwajina wa dhurriyatina qurrata a'yun waj'alna lilmuttaqina imama. Oh Allah, grant us in this life, hablana. Assuming in this life, yeah, it's not for the akhir. Hablana, gift us min azwajina from our wives, wa dhurriyatina and our children, qurrata a'yun. That which is soothes my heart. That means soothes my eyes. Literally, it cools my eyes. Because the opposite, anger and sadness heat up the eye. Happiness cools the eye. Right? If you're so happy, you just fall asleep. Type of happiness. Right? Cools your Whereas anger and sadness, they heat up your eyes. Sadness causes blood to flow up and you tear. You cry. Right? And when you cry, the tears come out warm. It's, your eye is literally warmed up. So the opposite of that is the coolness of the eye. Happiness. True happiness in my heart. I said, okay, with this kid, I'm happy. I'm, this is, min, as well, you know, a man could marry many times, a woman could marry many times, and one of her husbands is her true love, and the other ones before her, him were not. All right, so it's likewise. And for the husband and the children, you may have ten children, three of them, they just bring you so much happiness. Okay. That's why you should have many kids. That the chances of someone making you truly happy, and sometimes to be honest with you, it's not it's just from Allah because just the way the kid looks, you feel like giving them a pass for murder. Right? Some of these these daughters are so cute. That daughter could commit murder. The mother would say well, why did she stick her body in front of the knife, right? She would still blame the other kid. I mean, they're so cute that that's why the mother loves them so much. Of course, that's oppression right there. But you know what I'm talking about. You just love them so much, you give them a free pass. By the way, that's actually probably harmful. If you love someone so much, it's, there could be harm in that because you don't teach them. You don't guide them. You just want to make them feel good. You never want to upset them. So you have to actually be careful of that. So, qurrat al the true passionate love, sometimes it may not be, you might not be ready for it. So you have to ask Allah Ta'ala to make you ready for it because sometimes there's haqq and batid that is not observed. And I've seen many people, they come down hard on one kid and they're really lenient with another kid. The one they came hard on, he comes out better. And the one they love so much and they're really lenient with because he is so handsome or she's so pretty and their personality is wonderful, doesn't learn lessons so uh, also keep that in mind when you're, when you're seeking that so-called true love which is 
And we should seek that. It's, it's one of the greatest ni'am. And if you ask a person what motivates them, nothing, I guarantee you, nothing will motivate a human being more than the potential for qurrat al-ayn of a spouse, a husband or a wife. Like the t- type of what you may call qurrat al-ayn or woman of my dreams, man of my dreams. Nothing will motivate a person more. And one of the proofs of that is that what was the first creation that Allah gave to Sayyidina Adam? He gave him paradise. He gave him knowledge. Then he gave him paradise. But what is it that made Adam forget everything? When he gave him a wife. Okay? When he gave him a wife. And Allah Ta'ala gave Adam the wife that was just perfect for him. Okay? Perfect for him. Hawa and Adam, they fit together like hand in glove. They're there was not like a marriage that there's awkwardness. No. So, uh, he forgot everything. Forgot even that there was uh, a prohibition, was distracted, that's how much he loved her. What about for wealth, and for marriage and wealth, there is one dua for marriage and wealth, and that is, and everything good. Rabbi inni lima anzalta ilayya min khayrin faqir. Again, that is, Rabbi, inni lima anzalta ilayya min khayrin faqir. That is the dua of Sayyidina Musa. Immediately he got a job, he got shelter, he got food, he got wife. So, always repeat in your sujood, Rabbi, inni lima anzalta ilayya min khayrin faqir. Rabbana hablana min azwajina wa zurriyatina. Qurrata a'yun wajalina al-muttaqeen al-nam. If you find yourself repeating this dua constantly, that is from the asbab and if Allah Ta'ala wants to, uh, wills to create something in the world, He first creates its asbab. Okay? Creates the asbab first. Here's something that it's very important I want everyone to pay attention to this. Many people say, I tried, it didn't work, it looks like Allah doesn't want it to happen. It's not meant to be. This is a major sin for you to do. Why? Because you are essentially making a prediction. You are speaking on behalf of Allah Ta'ala about the future. You have no business with the future. The correct statement is Allah did not want it to happen this time. He did not will it now, but He may will it for the future. So that's the, the, the difference. Okay. So you should say Allah has not willed it at this time. We don't know about the future, right? So you fail once at something. Okay, Allah did not will it in this time around. You don't know about the future so you have no business with the future alright maybe Allah wills it tomorrow okay. I didn't get an answer I've been waiting for the reply for five weeks I didn't get an answer Allah it must be that he is not willing it what's your business with Allah's future that's the, the possession of Allah Ta'ala. don't peek into his doorway okay that's like peeking into someone's private business you have no business with that. So it was not his, it is not willed now, but it may be his will in the future. Okay? So you have no business with that. What's the difference between Al-Jabir and Al-Jabbar? Al-Jabir is the one who brings two broken things together. It's a name of mercy. Al-Jabbar is the one who brings justice upon somebody strong despite their strength. That's Jabbar. <coughs> Can you give some tips on adab? 
the best thing for adab is to hang around the ulama and observe them because their adab is informed by the sunnah. There are people who have great adab, but their adab is informed by culture. So for example, there are uh, the Syrian people have a lot of formalities based upon adab, mingled between the sunnah and their culture. Their culture meaning the urf, meaning the th- those things that were considered in their time beneficial. Customs are things that a society determines beneficial for them, although it's not from the book and the sunnah, but they find it beneficial. It's acceptable. So they have a lot of, even the non-religious Syrians, I noticed, they have a lot of adab, right? And I think the Egyptians used to be like that, but they've become a bit informal nowadays, right? A lot of Egyptians are very like, because Egypt, its location is literally in the middle of the world, the old world. It's at the middle. It receives everything. It's like impossible to pin down any one thing in Egypt because you always have immigration, migration. So, and you always have people going and getting ideas from outside and coming back in and it's like a moving river. But other cultures like Yemen, parts of India, Syria, where they're a little bit removed, they can retain manners that are based between sunnah and customs. Customs that in their time was good for them. They deemed it at that time most beneficial. Right? So, but times change. We change. We're in a different country now. So what may have been good for you may be harmful to us. So we have to separate now between what is a sunnah from the Prophet and what is a culture that no longer really applies to us. A cultural adab. So I would say that people should... Um, Keep the company of those who have knowledge so that you can see like, what is beneficial right? and what is, su- what is a sunnah and then what is the custom that is acceptable still to us today. Uh, I want to announce you for all of you to study fiqh today. So go to arcview.org, sign up for Arcview Basic so that you can take today's Hanafi fiqh class at 7.30. On Arcview Basic, Hanafi fiqh. Today, Monday, Hanafi, fiqh. Tuesday, Shafi, fiqh. Wednesday, uh, Tuesday, Maliki, fiqh. Wednesday, Shafi, fiqh. Thursday, Hanbali, fiqh. We are teaching fiqh of the four madahib of Ahl Sunnah, Monday through Thursday. All of them with one subscription to Arcview Basic. Before that, every Sunday, yesterday, we are teaching Al Aqidah, fiqh al Akbar, Aqidah 101, the preparatory texts. So you get Aqidah 101, and then you get the basics of whichever madhab that you're studying. You can't study fiqh without studying a madhab, because fiqh is the result of a methodology. What is a madhab? It is a usul. It is a methodology. What is our methodology of extracting rulings from the book and the sunnah? We're not going to invent a methodology. We're going to take the methodology that has been established for us, and they are the four madhab. Okay, so... Whichever methodology that you're looking at, boom. Okay, that's the methodology that, um, that is the fiqh that will be taught. Okay, all of them are recorded. So you don't have to attend it live. We recommend you attend it live so you can ask questions. And you can hear the lecture live, but it's all there. So I highly recommend you to subscribe to ArcView Basic. We are made this, the fundamentals of the religion are available to anybody for 
$10 a month. Literally free, essentially. People have, I, I had teachers tell me, what is this? Why is it so cheap, right? So efficient because we want it for every Muslim. There's no value in 10 educated people and 1,000 ignorant people. There's more value in two highly educated, 500 solidly educated, and then the rest ignorant, right? Well, we don't want any ignorance. We want everybody to be learned in the fundamentals of their deen that will keep them from the major fitan. Okay, so M-Star, I cannot attend it because they're from England. All of them are recorded. And we have a beautiful website. You go to the website, click, and boom. All the lectures are right there. You just click. You listen. You stop listening, it'll mark in blue how much you listen to so that you can go back when you're done. And no lecture is more than like 40 minutes. Sometimes I go over, but 45 minutes to 50 minutes because that's what is doable. Is it possible, says Safi M, to say, Hasbi Allahu wa ni'mal wakil with the intention of praying against someone because of an injustice? Yes, that's enough. Leave it to Allah Ta'ala. You're not, that's, and it's not even technically a dua against them. It's simply saying Allah will deal with them. And that is the best way. Because Allah may choose to rectify between you two. Leave it to Allah Ta'ala. But you may make a dua that his dhulm ends. Oh, Allah, stop his oppression. He may stop his oppression by the person repenting. The person getting a long sickness in which they repent for their sins, but they can't harm anyone anymore. And he may be punished. Leave it to Allah Ta'ala. If someone, says Marine Green, is it a sin if someone doesn't tell every news of their life to their relatives? You don't have to say to your siblings anything, number one, about your personal news. And for your parents, if you live under their roof, you are bound to, you're obligated to tell them what concerns, you know, them too. What concerns them. The part that overlaps between you and them. Okay. Because it's fathomable that there's some embarrassing thing or private thing that you need to keep away from them that may hurt them. Okay. But you shouldn't really imagine that it's very odd if a parent would give hasad to their kid, right? But maybe some people are different, right? So, but you should also just keep in mind not to offend people by making them feel that they're iced out of your life, okay? So you find a way to maybe, you know, uh, make the news mellow if your brother is poor, and you got very rich, right? So you could say, yeah, hey, bro uh, brother, I got a job. I got a new job. Yeah, it's a little bit paying a little bit more. You don't have to tell them you're making now 500K a year, and he, the poor guy is making like 50K a year. It's a little bit better. I'd say it's pretty decent, right? So you have to mellow it down for him so that you don't inflame his hasad or his envy or just make him feel incompetent. Okay, so you have to make sure that doesn't happen. Everybody, male or female, uh, a brother or not, biological brother or not, everyone. If a person's dua didn't get fulfilled on their first visit to the Kaaba, does it mean Allah did not like their presence? No, actually, believe it or not, maybe the opposite. Because there's a Prophet ﷺ said, 
a man will pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so fervently and the mala'ika will be commanded do not answer him because if you do he'll stop making dua and I love to hear his dua so Allah ta'ala will delay his answer because Allah loves to hear his dua so sometimes the delay is out of Allah's love and if you want your prayer to be answered start making a plan and discipline yourself after I'm answered am I going to still do ibadah or I'm just going to coast I'm done with it no you have to plan what am I going to do to be grateful and you can't plan just to be grateful it's an exercise so are you grateful for everything else have you ever woken up for the middle of the night for dua in the middle of the night just to be grateful for any of your other blessings no so what makes you think and why should anyone believe that you will be grateful when you get this ni'mah? you haven't practiced it like you you have never done an act of worship just solely for no reason except for the gratitude of what you had in the past so what you're claiming now oh Allah give it to me and I'll be, be grateful well what's the proof you've never done that in the past and I've given you bigger, bigger things such as life itself a brain eyes ears guidance and you never got up in the middle of the night you never opened the mushaf you never gave sadaqah with no intent other than gratitude so you're lying right and you're putting up for yourself something that you'll never do so start being grateful for the things that you have in the past and great gratitude has to have proof love has to have proof I did this for that sake okay measurables you need measurables and on the measurables of gratitude you're a zero you're always asking for more by the way this is an acceptable religion a path in religion I'm always asking for more that's fine but you also need to be grateful you're incomplete it's acceptable in other words you're not like a monafic or a kafir or a sinner but you're incomplete so we need to do some deeds just solely for the out of gratitude for what we have How do you overcome addictions such as overeating? I honestly believe that an addiction, and I'm not a psychologist, but an addiction is to solve a hole inside of a person. A person's really upset about something. Most times, that what they're upset about is the absence of something. So you need to really pray and ask, what is the absence of what? And it's usually major and it usually involves people in your life. You're not satisfied with your husband. You're not satisfied with your, your like your dad oppressed you. Your mom ignored you. Something, you're, 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 you don't, it's some major dissatisfaction. So you have to, number one, ask Allah to guide you. What is it, what is my issue? Number two, you have to now believe that Allah Ta'ala can cure it, no matter how big it is. You have to believe Allah can bring you something to fix that. And then once you start believing, oh my gosh, this massive issue can be solved, you will find yourself motivated to go through brick walls. What did the Messenger wasallam say? What do you say? Sorry, I misread the question. Ibrahim Khan, what do you say to those who say the Prophet didn't sin nor erred, but it was Qadr? I say that's sort of uh, I don't understand the question in the sense that uh, the prophet did not commit sins. We know that. And yes, the second part of it now I understand 
it is qadr in the sense that the Prophet himself said, I forget or am made to forget, so he said examples. And that the Prophet ﷺ, anytime that he said, made a decision in which there was a piece of information he was not aware of. Firstly, that's not a mistake, right? It's not from the conditions of prophethood that he knows where all the wells are in his country. It's not the conditions of excellence that he is knowledgeable of how to farm. So when the two instances that come, it's uh, that people say that, okay, the well was at Badr, and that the Prophet asked the farmers, why don't they pollinate their farms or fecundate their palm trees in this or that manner? Then they did it. Then it failed. We don't believe in a prophet because he knows about farming. That's number one. But the secondly, there's another interpretation of that. Of those, of the, those people, they were from the munafiqeen. Right? They were from the munafiqeen. They didn't believe the prophet. And they did it not believing in him. Okay? And that's why it failed. Had they believed that the prophet was knowledgeable and knew uh, and that this would succeed, they would have received it. Likewise, the Prophet says, a man came, he was also from the Munafiqeen. And he said, my stomach, I have stomach pain. The Prophet said, take this medicine. I believe it was honey. Three times. The Prophet finally said, your stomach lies. In other words, the man almost wants to disprove the Prophet. So that's why the Prophet said, your stomach lies. I didn't actually look into the depth of that hadith even. I want to look into it, but there is a hadith such as that. And it's used as an example of the Prophet He said something and was wrong. Firstly, if it was that, that doesn't decrease anything from his perfection. But number two, though there are explanations for each one of these, and the ultimate explanation is for the Prophet ﷺ to show us that someone could know more than the superior one of in the group. So a scholar, an elder, a king. If a, someone under you in status knows a piece of information you don't have, there's no harm in that. Did not Prophet Suleiman not know of the existence of Saba? Sheba in Yemen? He didn't know of their existence. A massive kingdom. And he's the great king and prophet. And he did not know of their existence until a little bird came and told him. Okay? He was angry. Where's the bird? The bird comes back, sits right in front of him, meaning that it's not afraid of injustice. Is not afraid of his anger. It came close to him and sat and spoke to him directly. Uh, I'm late because I discovered something you never knew about. Am I accepting a prophet because he knows geography? No. That's not what we accept a prophet for. right? And there are many people who know geography and know farming and know where all the water sources are and you have no business following them. You wouldn't want to follow them. So that's what we say about these things. So it is just to show us his basharia and how we should interact with our basharia basharia means humanness we have to wrap up in a second because I have uh, another interview believe it or not with care Uh, there's a podcast with a guy who works with care that I'm going to do right now in Al-Futuhat al-Makkiyah it's attributed to Ibn Arabi saying I don't read Futuhat al-Makkiyah or any of the books of Ibn Arabi so I can't really tell you but uh it's stated that Allah created 100,000 atoms. None of that is sound. It's just speculative speech that there's likenesses of us all over the planet. There's absolutely not a thread of true evidence for that. It's just sayings. Even Ibn Abbas is saying 
it's not have a strong narration and we don't know what he really meant by it. So we don't go by any of that. Uh, and some people try to use that to justify beliefs and relate it to evolution or something and I don't see how that happens at all. But even uh, Ar-Razi, Ar-Razi quotes, he quotes it as just like FYI, there is a hadith like that. That's found, And he's saying it's found in the books of the Shia. The books of the Shia, their hadiths are not you know, change it for, for many of their hadiths, if any. But when I went back to the books of the Shia, they're quoting Razi, quoting them. They don't even have the original quote, forget the hadith. They don't even have the original book that Razi was reading from. They don't even have that book. Like contemporary Shia books do not quote their own book. They quote Razi quoting their book. So they don't even know where their, the saying came from, let alone the hadith itself. This stuff is not belief for us. Sophia says, I can't do 5 p.m., 5.30 to 6 p.m. at the moment. So they're talking about ArcView classes. Ladies and gentlemen, sign up for ArcView Basics so you can get educated in your dean by simple courses that are there for you to, to refer to at all times. You, you, you click it on your phone, you, do it, you, you wash your dishes, you drive, and you get educated. All right? This is a hangout. You learn something. You learn to love this dean. Right? But you also need structured courses that go through line by line of traditional texts. Wherever you go in the world, you say, I studied this book, the scholars will know what you're talking about, and they could take you from there. Structured education. <clears throat> Is it true that Sayyidina al-Hassan had many women that he married and divorced? And many women use this as an argument. Sayyidina al-Hassan, many, many people wanted to be related to the prophetic lineage and related to him. They would offer marriage to him. So people would come and men would come and say, come and settle with us and marry from us. So he... He was from the kind who type who was, uh, he had haya, and he didn't like to tell people no, and he accepted this. Okay, he accepted this, and then, but you only have four slots, so we would have to divorce. Okay, so there is truth to that statement. But what was his purpose? Just taking advantage of being the prophet's grandson? What's the proof that he was not taking advantage and doing this just out of passion and desire? Of course, every man loves women, right? But what's the proof that he it was not doing this from his ego? The proof that he was not a man of ego that is clear as day is that the greater passion than that and that which would have given him more access to women would have been to become the Khalifa, right or wrong. And when he had it, what did he do with it? He gave it up for the sake of the Ummah and the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, so that's how we understand that, yes, he did have many wives and many divorces. But there, it wasn't out of, in the same way of taking advantage of his position, because if he had that attitude towards women and with his own passions, wouldn't he have kept the Khilafah for himself? Because he would have more access to them. When he gave up the Khilafah, so many people made fun of him and belittled him. And these tough guys of the Muslims, of the Arabs. They say, you're the one who gave it up. Why didn't you fight for it? They would 
deride him like that. They don't understand the responsibility that he had and the ability that he had to avoid a fissure in the ummah, and he did that at the expense of his own nafs, so that nobody could nobody after that action could ever accuse him his motive of being just selfish. If he was selfish, he would have done that too. Kept the khilafah and let the ummah be divided up, and then all the enemies of the ummah were still had armies. They could have chewed up this ummah. Uh, could you give me one question, uh, uh, Habib, from, from, no, from uh, uh, Instagram? Do you have Instagram in front of you? With what? Oh, okay, there's no daughter Fatsuka. Women who divorce for no reason go to hell? There's no such thing. There's no such thing. Firstly, a woman cannot divorce for no reason. She has to offer something to her um, husband. Like, she it, coming into the marriage, she accepted a dowry, right? If she wants to get out of the marriage, okay, she, she received a dowry, and both people agreed to marry, okay? A man can't come take a woman by force. To get out of the marriage, she has to give something back, similar to the dowry or whatever is accepted, whatever both sides agree on, and both sides have to agree to the divorce. All right? So, um, she's not just going to leave. That's how a khula happens. So in that sense, he's also accepting. Ark views with a K. A-R-K view. Ark view. Uh, burning hijab, is it kufr? What difference does it make? They're all muqtadiyah anyway. Um, uh, it's like murtads um, revolting against muqtadiyah. Uh, we don't really have a party in this in this issue of the Iranian hijab, uh, kufr burning, whatever they're doing. Who knows what the hell they're doing. But we don't have a horse in that race anyway. So it makes no difference to me. That's why I don't follow up on it. Go up again. What's that question? This, uh, go down, down, down? No, the other way? There's something about horses? Keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. There's a fatwa. Okay, keep going down. Keep going. Okay, no, no, I, I misread it. No problem. Iranian pros. Yeah, that's what I just said. I mean, it's like, what is it? Like apostates going against innovators. We don't have a horse in this race. Probably all uh, agent provocateurs in this and Western organizations are all just inflaming this. Um, so... I didn't even bother. I, I never got into Iranian anything, right? The only thing I like about Persian, even in the Shia era, was that they had some amazing art uh, and culture. I remember in, in, in Islamic art uh, and architecture, that class that I took at Georgetown, the Persian chapter was one of the best. These people had an amazing culture. And there were Shafi'iyah before that, Sunni Shafi'is, then they became Shia. So set that aside. That's not the issue. But the culture that they had, they're elite people. Persians are elite people. But the local, the, the mo all Islamic modern history, to me, it's a turnoff. Right? It's just like, it's not authentic. It's not genuine. It's all like, take Western ideas and just, uh, you know, force it down a completely different culture, different history, different everything. And take a Western concept and just um, force it over the uh, 
over a, a completely different uh, culture. So, is it permissible to sell trade a code for a free movie ticket? I don't know what kind of movie the person will use it for. Allahu Alam. I don't think so, but I don't think it's permitted. But who knows? Ask somebody else because I don't know what movies they're going to be watching and what is there even a movie that's totally halal? You can't. Go to a movie that has no music in it. And some modern muftis have permitted the backgrounds of like jingles and stuff like that, even for movies. And from Ahlul Sunnah too, not just some modernists. I think every movie you like go to now, they have they throw in like some like political views. Every movie is woke. Yeah, woke. It's so annoying, yeah. right? You can't watch a thing. Even I think like one of the Batmans, someone told me, like Catwoman was she's like woke. She's like, oh, all these whites, right? <laughs> it's just uh, well, they call it woke casting, and of course that's totally politically incorrect too against that but woke casting is like a play about George Washington and he's like Korean the actor's Korean or the actor's like Jamaican whereas and he's supposed to be playing somebody who was white so I was like oh okay do that make a movie about Michael Jordan and, and put someone Chinese as Mike put in put a Daisy as Michael Jordan right how is he gonna say I'm the black Jesus anyway go back to see what's genuine there Okay, let's do that one. How do you set people? How do you respond to people say that worship is only based on Quran and Sunnah? Everything else is bid'ah. It's true. It is, but you're not the interpreter of Quran and Sunnah. You probably don't even know Arabic. Let the interpreters of the past, such as Abu Hanifa, Malik, Shafi, and Ahmed, and all of their, okay, uh, all of their uh, followers uh, of scholars who interpreted their knowledge. Let them. Interpret for us what the Quran and Sunnah says. All right, genuine question. You're saying all Iranians are apostates? No, I'm saying that a lot of these, uh, uh, a lot of the things in the protest, these, this is not, this is a lot of them. I'm assuming if they're burning a religious symbol, they care nothing for the deen, right? So that's what I'm saying about that. So it's not, it's not something where, you know, uh, we have anything in common with either side. Neither the Shia government nor the protesters. So, I don't, who knows what their state is, but I could clearly state that's not a party that I have anything in common with, and this is not a party that I have anything in common with. Is my wudu invalidated if I actually touch my private parts even there as close as a barrier? No, it's skin to skin that breaks the wudu. Amazon's Lord of the Rings is a woke disaster too. Everything we have been deprived of the most like simple thing of relaxation. Everything is woke. There for a while the NFL was going that route too. Couldn't even watch a football game. Is there alimony in Islam? No. What alimony? Why would he pay her after the divorce? He pays her child care. Why would he take care of her after the divorce? Right? She she doesn't want him. Why would, if you don't want him, you don't want his money. What you have a right to is child care. He has to pay for all the children, every last penny. And if the food mixes with your food, that's acceptable. It's not reasonable that um, he's going to pay a certain amount of money and you're going to go buy food for the kids and you keep a cabinet for them and a cabinet for you. The food will mix and that's acceptable. 
Do you need to lower your gaze in front of a transgender who went from woman to man? If it looks like a man to you, and you had to be informed it's transgender, but it's totally a man, then you do not have to. Okay. What do you think of Muslims being drafted to fight for the Russian army? Same as any army, essentially, that is a non-Islamic army, a non-Muslim army, or an army that is going to do something you don't believe in. Because technically, if you're involved in an army, let's say the Venezuelan army, are they? Is there a thing, anything on the horizon that they're going to oppress anybody? So I don't see... It's like being part of the police force, right? There's nothing intrinsically haram about that. What's haram is the fact that they... is, is when they do something oppressive. So you want to be part of an army that is just guarding the borders, whatever. I don't, there's, there's, there's nothing forbidden about that. It's no different than being part of the police force. It's just what you execute on the job must be something permitted. The wars you engage in, so the American wars, any, any empire is going to have oppressive wars, so you don't want to be involved with that. Sayyid Muhammad would like an only Q&A session. Maybe, one day. I posted a question on Patreon. All right, we'll check it out. By the way, this podcast is brought to you by you, the patrons. Patrons that will sign up to become patrons at patreon.com backslash Safina Society. And I thank from the bottom of my heart, and I make dua for everyone who supports, financially supports this podcast. Okay. And uh, makes it happen. Because we can't make this happen without time, electricity, money, everything. And you are the source that makes it happen. So we actually uh, need Allah's help and then your help after that to be at patreon.com backslash Safina Society. Ibn Abdullah do Surah Al-Insan. Well, we have to go in order. So we will get to it. Did the prophet sleep with his head uncovered? Head covered? No. And I don't think it's possible to sleep with your head covered. It will fall off while you're sleeping. Uh, Ishaq says they are being forced. Oh, I see they're being forced. Well, if you're being forced, then what you still have to do is you can't go aiming, at, you can't kill someone oppressively. Nobody put a gun to your head, kill the other person. Get killed. Fire a different direction. So, they, they, that their, their murder of somebody else would still be forbidden. But the actual forcing them all right, uh, to do other things, as long as it's short of killing another person, we'd say they're being forced. So someone says, forced you, put on this uniform, run these five miles, get on the tank, okay, dust off this musket, uh, polish the Kalashnikov, fine. You're putting a gun to my head, fine. But kill this person, no. If it was voluntary, all of it would be haram. If it was voluntary, it's all haram because you're part of the machine. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we got to go to care. Jazakumullah khairan. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Ashhadu an la ilaha illa anta. Astaghfiruk wa natubu ilayk. Wal asr inna al-insana lafi khusr. Illa al-ladhina amanu wa amilu s-salihat. Wa tawasaw bil-haq wa tawasaw bil-sabr.
والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله Oh